Before I launch into this doctor story, I want to give you a little bit of background so you know kind of where it fits in everything. I'm very nervous about this one because this is uh, the first one that makes me feel like uh, it, it, it's difficult to talk about. Um, so we're going to talk about it because what's, what's better than that, right? Sorry to blab or babble. Um, so my medical school was in Puerto Rico, one of the most beautiful places in the world. I got to medical school after going to college in Virginia. And before that, after having all kinds of adventures, um, before or after that, I've worked as an autism therapist. I've worked as a reporter on Capitol Hill. I have ridden a motorcycle in a monsoon with a former gang leader. I've escaped a German nunnery. Um, I've had so many amazing adventures out inside and outside of medicine, um, just as a writer. And one of the reasons that I became a physician was that as a writer, I wanted to be a hero worth writing about. I didn't just want to be writing these ridiculous stories and there are people out there who need help. So as a part of that, um, my social medicine club in Puerto Rico would go out on the streets, um, even when we were still medical students, and we would listen to heartbeats and take blood pressures and, and we give some, you know, kind of nonspecific general, um, you know, medical education. And we would try to get people hooked up with, um, services and we would give out hot dogs and, um, sometimes just sit and listen to people. Puerto Rico, um, the city in Puerto Rico where I live has a very, very high homeless population. So my first deaths, um, were, my third year of medical school. And this was one of the first ones. Um, and this was important to me because of, of reasons, um, you'll hear about in just a second, but I just kind of want to give that background, um, and explain a little bit about what medical school is. Um, in medical school, most medical schools, you don't, you're not even allowed to go out and volunteer for legal reasons um, because they're afraid that you might get hurt or, you know, it's going to hurt their reputation as a school or what if the homeless person sues you and yada, yada, yada. Um, my school really tries to make a difference and I really appreciated that. But it's very difficult to ever get time away from the books. You know, everyone was always jealous of me for going to medical school in Puerto Rico. There are so many beautiful beaches I have never been to in Puerto Rico still because I spent most of my time inside a library. Granted, it was a library with a beautiful view outside to tropical leaves and little birds that were singing and just the brightest blue sky. And it was always warm and the culture was wonderful. And everyone always gave you a kiss when they greeted you. And it wasn't weird to hug your colleagues. And it was just, just 
indescribably beautiful to drive to pediatrics rotation along the side of a crystal clear ocean with these sharp rocky rocky coral crags that have been evolved and molded by the sea just next to the road and beautiful trees overhanging that are not quite tropical, almost dry, little craggy little trees hanging on to the sides of the mountain that's on the one side of you, kind of the hills that are the one side of you. And then on the other side, you just have this beautiful ocean that stretches forever and then just the most pristine beach. And you're just driving to work and you're passing some of the most beautiful scenes in the world. That was Puerto Rico, but it was also medical school. And in medical school, you are expected to perform and you are expected to stay in and do your work and not to spend a lot of time outside doing other things. Um, you might be studying 80 hours a week. It's never done. You never ever are actually done studying the material because all of human medicine is far too vast to learn. So you learn everything again and again each year. You learn everything like five times. And then by the time you get to intern year of residency, um, you've forgotten everything and you have to learn it all again. And then as a physician, you have to continue learning it again and again through CMEs because it's just impossible to know it all. It's just not possible. And so you take test after test. Our tests are uh, professionally much longer than those of most other professions. Um, my board certifications were eight hours long each. Uh, one of my board certifications was across two days. So two days, eight hours each of just questions, hundreds and hundreds of questions. Um, you get a little bit overwhelmed. And that's, that's the kind of, that's the kind of thing that medical school is. There is an increasing awareness, I hope now, about the number of suicides in medical school, um, especially third and fourth years. The hierarchy becomes more apparent to you and you can't make a difference or you see people die. Um, but second year is by far the worst year. I think people just don't think to kill themselves at that time. I'm not sure. Um, but to be honest with you, there's a reason that physicians have a, I've read different statistics. One was 40 times, one was 40%, one was 70% higher suicide rate than other professions. But either way, it's a much higher suicide rate than other professions. And that starts in medical school, um, with a lot of the pressure that is on you. All of this, I say as an excuse. And you'll understand why in a little bit. It's not a good excuse. It's just, I am always a little bit afraid of telling the story because it was not well received um, another time that I told it. And usually when you are going out of your way to try to help people above and beyond your medical school work, right, by volunteering, um, it's rough to get slapped about it because you're not supposed to volunteer and do extra, but you do it anyway because you want to try to help people, um, even though it means you may not do as well on your test the next day. So this story um, is told backwards from the end of the story to the beginning, and it's about um, 
my friend Reuben. No one cried for Reuben the day he died. His body, saturated with sugar, roasted in the sun by the gas station near the bakery, and I wasn't there. The ants must have swarmed to his flesh the way they swarmed his urine when he was still alive. I wonder, sometimes, who inherited his shopping cart full of cockroaches and used beer bottles. Somewhere a pair of glasses that didn't fit his prescription, given to him by not the eye doctor, dangled through the rigid netting of the cart. Dangled, useless, like his swollen feet. Ken, who are you? A week before his death, Reuben yelled at me. My gut churned like too many baked goods when I heard the street dog's growl meld in his voice with that shame-inducing sternness of old men who own lawns. Reuben never owned a lawn, you see. Aki, aki. The hot dogs and cookies I held out to him passed unseen by his clouded eyes, as usual. But this time the eyes seared with the white light of unknown fear. This time I laid the food beside him and he didn't smile at my voice. Who was I? I was the only person who knew him, the student who should have been studying. Our group leader rushed us away from the old man. This was just one homeless man out of many and he clearly didn't want our help. Probably drunk, right? No, he always loves her, said Maria. She was there the night Reuben and I met, she knew. She knew he was dying. She knew the glucose was melting his brain. He didn't even know he was dying, so he couldn't cry and doesn't now. But that day in the car, I cried for him. And when I wrote this, as I write this, I cry now for the both of us. As my tears melt our images together into bitter salt drops that evaporate into Laban's pillar in the eternal summer sun, I am what I did not do. I did call the homeless shelter. Months before Reuben died, I asked them to go pick him up because, see, I didn't have a car or a medical degree and all he really needed was metformin or some insulin, so did their doctor know? Call back? Oh, okay. I did not call back. I did follow up with one of the volunteer group leaders about Reuben's health insurance application the year before Reuben died. We took down his stats the day we met. But how to get him to the doctor? No one would want to drive him, not with his rotting smell soaked in beer, not after a glance at the cockroaches that kept other homeless people from stealing the belongings his sister washed for him sometimes. Why didn't he live with her? I did not apply for Reuben's health insurance myself, and I did not force the driving thing on anyone. I did not have a car. I walked to school. I did confuse Reuben's name with Ramon the sweet-talking New York accent guy who sold women on the nearby street corner. I did bring Reuben new shoes, and within weeks of meeting him, bought him three pairs of glasses in the hopes that one would work. Walk as much as you can, I said, because he exercises even better for diabetes than metformin, and that's the best medication we have, so even though your feet swell, please walk. I did not stop giving him sweets every time I saw him. It would be sad to take away this one little joy from his life, said the group leader when I asked why we gave Reuben the poison that killed him. Take heed, Sodom, for I poisoned a man. I did not see him homeless and invite him in, naked and clothe him, or sick and find out why he drank. The landlady would never let me. I didn't have a car. I didn't even have air conditioning. And most of all, I barely deserved the four hours I stole from med school every other week to wander the homeless streets for him. I was supposed to be studying 24-7. I was in medical school. 
but my excuses do not save him or me. What's your excuse? ¿De dónde eres? Ruben laughed, gripping my hand, his eyes bright beyond the cataracts as he drew me to sit beside him when we first met. Paraguay! He kindly asked me all about Paraguay because I love Paraguay, so shoulder to shoulder we sat and shared the homes we don't have. He shared the sister who sometimes lets him shower in his house, and I shared the jungle paradise where people shower five times a day. Together we missed them, and together we joked, joked until we were the only people in the whole wide world under the shadow of the gas station dumpster. His shoulder warmed mine, his bowed head when he prayed with me, fed me that sense of usefulness that I craved like he craved alcohol. Night after night, before my visits faded into infrequency, before the raisin in the sun, Reuben's enormous beard tickled me like butterfly wings as we kissed on the cheek for our first goodbye. Reuben, please, I said to him. Reuben, don't make me cry. Be sure to subscribe to Emergency Exit Podcast wherever you get your pods to be the first to know when this show and multiple other shows are available for your listening entertainment. Once again, that was Dr. Jen Finelli with Death and the Doctor. for listening to this episode of Death and the Doctor. I'm Jen Finelli, the licensed physician voice behind um, the series. Mental health care is very important to me because of the only personal trauma that I have dealt with and because of the impact I've seen on my patients. So if you or a loved one are at risk, um, the phone number for the suicide helpline is 1-800-273-8255. Or for the crisis text line, you can text HOME, that's H-O-M-E, or Hotel Oscar Mike Echo, to 741-741 in the U.S., or 686-868 in Canada. I also went ahead and, along with the Emergency um, Exit Podcast Network, we've gone ahead and affiliated with BetterHelp.com. In these current times, it can be difficult to go out to find a therapist, and a lot of times people's insurance doesn't always cover what they need. There are cheap and affordable uh, therapist options at BetterHelp, and like I always tell my patients, if you need to fire your therapist and pick another one, you always can. You always should take care of picking the therapist that's best for you, but if you would like to take advantage of our 10% offer, um, we do have a special link for you at has offers tracking.betterhelp.com slash s h d y that's has offers tracking.betterhelp.com slash s h d y so that link is also going to be in the description of every episode so one more time in order to get 10 percent off of your teletherapy so that you can take care of yourself effectively um, please go to hasofferstracking.betterhelp.com slash S as in Sierra, H as in Hotel, D as in Delta, and Y as in Yankee. And that's has offers tracking with an S. I really hope that you find that helpful. And if not, do what you need to do to try to find care in the area near you. It's also always a viable option if you have a well-trained chaplain. 
um, or you have a well-trained school counselor, sometimes they can get you the help that you need as well. Every single person, whether a counselor or a pastor or a school counselor or a therapist, can sometimes be hit and miss because the evidence shows that the biggest thing that makes a difference for patients actually getting better is if you have a good rapport with the therapist. So if it's not working, get a different one. It's okay. A professional isn't going to be offended. What I like about being able to use BetterHelp.com is you have an enormous network of therapists all over the world that you can use to help you out. Um, it is U.S.-based company. And while I can't give you some kind of insurance referral or anything like that to them, this affiliate link is a great way to both support the show and do what you need to do to make sure that you're healthy to be able to help other people. Thank you very much for listening to the show and have good adventures. Adventures.